So we have been walking through the book of Genesis, and so this is our second week. And so we started off by going way back to the beginning. And every once in a while, we need to, uh, to, need to start from scratch and to see, well, why do we believe what we believe? And how did we end up where we are when we see, like, for example, the Apostle Paul and he writes his letters. And we see in the, uh, in the gospel, in the gospel accounts, and we see everything else that we see. How did we even get to this place? And that's what we've been looking at in this sermon series. And that's what we want to do in this sermon series is begin to connect the dots of why we do what we do and why are things the way they are? And we started off last week, and Ezra walked us through creation. God created. And then after he created, he sort of stepped back and looked at everything he made and said it was good. Everything was good. You know the funny thing is, you see how big the Bible is, right? It literally took till chapter 3 to screw things up, right? It didn't take very far in it. And we haven't even gotten to that point yet, so we sort of, we sort of know how... The story goes. But so we see God has created everything and everything was perfect. And it reminds me a lot of Jesus. Why? Because I look at the life of Christ and I see how he lived when he was here. And I'm thinking to myself, that's what we were supposed to be like. That's what we're supposed to be like. Perfect. But then there's a part of me is like, but man, it's so hard. It's so hard because I, I think to myself, can anyone really live like this? And as I became more familiar with the Bible, and I began to read it more, I began to think to myself, man, it is hard to live like that. And so what I did in a convenient way around that was, especially when I was younger in my faith, I began to pick and choose what I could do and what I couldn't do, right? I began to decide for myself what was right and what was wrong, right? And when I do that, who am I putting on the throne, right? I become God. I'm deciding what is right and what is wrong. I'll give you a perfect example. So you look at today when the Bible says that premarital relations is not right. Why? Because it goes against God's command. But there's a part of us that says, yeah, but God, you know what? Let me do you a favor, God. I'm going to do you a solid today, all right? I hear what you're saying, but I'll take that one off your plate. I'll handle that with myself, God, because I know. I know what's best for me. And so we do that. And so it's not just that. It's with so many other things in our life. And even those who professed to be Christians and that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, they'll look at the Bible and say, yeah, but you can't take it literally, though. You can't take everything literally. And so if I begin to live like that, then I step back and I say, well, then what should I take? What should I believe and what shouldn't I believe? Right? There's the fundamental problem with living like that. And so what we're going to look at today is how we move now from creation to now beginning to look at human beings and how God has created them and get a little bit deeper dive and a deeper view of really of our place and how we're called to live. Adam and eventually Eve were historical beings, right? But what they really do, they also represent mankind. Because I'll tell you, everything that you see happening to them, we do the same things today. We just have more stuff to do it with. But it's the same exact thing. It's the same exact problems that you see today. And it explains a lot of why we do the things we do and why things are the way they are. And so today, the main idea, the big idea is this, to truly be alive, is to follow God's command. 
To truly be alive is to follow God's command. I call this sermon true freedom. True freedom. And so the main idea, the main takeaway is this, is to live in true freedom that comes with a relationship from a relationship with God through Christ. That's how we get back to the true freedom that we were meant to live in. And so we're going to look at Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17 today. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I want to start with just the first few verses, and so we'll, take, we'll sort of take it and break it apart. And it says this in verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And so when you see in the Bible when it says generations, what it really means is like the genealogy, the family history. And so he's saying this is what the history was before the fall. It's almost like a a fuller development of the story that we began to see in chapter 1 when man created God, God created man, rather, in his own image. And so now what we're doing is we're moving from this really large view of creation, and now we're beginning to focus in specifically on when God creates man. And so now, the creation narrative is really important for two reasons here. Because when we see in the beginning the creation, number one, we see God is referred to as Lord God. And that is a sign of intimacy because when you look at the Jewish nation, they refer to God as their Lord God. And so you see this idea of a closer intimacy with God by referring to him that way. But the other one is when it says God created is what God did. It was here is God. God creates creation separate from himself. You as man and me as man, we we don't achieve God's status by doing things. God, creation, separate. But the idea of being separate is because they were made for relationship with one another. That is a distinctive of the Judeo-Christian worldview, which separates it from many beliefs nowadays, is that you can attain God's status on your own, and you can become one with God, and God is in everything. And this goes clearly against that, right? God creates, he is separate, and he is separate for relationship with man. You were created for a personal, intimate relationship. And so it says when there was no bushes and no plants because of rain, no rain, nobody to work it, there was a mist coming up. And so what God does is God forms man. Now, the Hebrew word is Adam, right? Where have we heard that name before? And the word for ground is Adama. And so now you see the relation between Adam and man and ground. And so Adam was then created for an earthly existence. And so when you see he was made from dust, it's this idea of like lowliness and humility. God creates man from the dust of the earth. I want you just to to take this 
in just for a moment. Think about this. You have a piece of skin. It's the size of a postage stamp. Look how intricately made you are. It says this. A piece of skin the size of a postage stamp needs three million cells, a yard of blood vessels, four yards of nerves, a hundred sweat glands, 15 oil glands, and 25 nerve endings. And that's just in a, a stamp size piece of skin. That's how intricately woven and beautifully made you are. And so God creates man. And then what does he do? He breathes life. He gives him life. Man is nothing without life. And so when you see this idea of the breath, it's the Spirit's activity. God has put his spirit and breath into man and gave him life. It's a picture of that intimate relationship that you aren't here today and you don't have breath unless it was given by him. And we can look at that and just think of the intimacy that God had with us, that God wants to have with us. You don't even exist without him. Life is a gift from God. That's the starting point. So of everything that God has created, he's only created one in his image. That's us. We are called to reflect him, reflect his righteousness, his holiness. That's what you were created for. And now there's a lot of implications. And you look at creation versus a random evolutionary accident. Because if you are a product of creation, what it means is you were created for a purpose. You were created for a reason, and you were created to reflect him. And as a result, you have value, and you have dignity, and you have worth. That's why when we look at each other, I don't want to harm people because they've got value and worth. You can't get that from random evolutionary Mistake or accident. You don't get that. And so where does that come from? It comes from God. He gave it to you. That's why we look at each other like that. And incidentally, that's one of the reasons why, as Christians, when we say that, you know, this whole idea of pro-life, we say it doesn't make sense to us. On one hand, we see people and we, we think that they have value and worth, but when it comes to an unborn baby, we don't think they're worth anything. So the worldview is coherent. I believe in life all across the board. Why? Because that's how God made us. Every living being is made in his image with value and dignity. And also, you are created for worship. You are created for him, to worship him as your maker. And you see what sin does? Sin says, no, I'm not going to worship God. I'm going to worship something else in his place. And we begin to worship things. We begin to deviate from the very reason why I was created. You know that sin, when we call something sinful, actually gives people value and worth. Well, what the heck do you mean? Well, when I say that what you're doing is sinful, what I'm saying is as one who is created in the image of God with value and worth, when you sin, you're going down here. God sees you up here. But if I don't call it sin and yet that's just a result of who you are because of evolution, I'm saying you have no worth. But when we say something is sinful, I'm actually affording people value and worth. Because I look at you and I see God, someone that God has created in his own image, and I see what you're doing is so far below what he's created you for. 
somebody of worth and value. And so what happens is we start here and we see, and this is the first application, life. Life comes from God. The very reason you have breath, the very reason you can take a step, the very reason you are sitting here today and listening is because God gave you life. He created you in his image. You are called to reflect his righteousness like a mirror. And now you have value and you have dignity that you wouldn't get apart from him. And oh, by the way, he created you separate so that you could enjoy that in a deep personal relationship with himself. That is the implication of what we see. That is the starting point for where we are as Christians and why we believe what we do. Incidentally, it's also a starting point and a reason why Christ came to give his life. Because God came and sent his son to those people who were created in his image who he believed was vet with value and dignity to save them. That's why we believe what we believe. And so that's the starting point. And then now what we do is we move now to what our purpose and our meaning is. Verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of the land is good. Bedellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, Eden, to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he goes and he creates man, and then what he does, he plants a garden, he puts the man there. The garden represents a place where we can have fellowship and peace with God. And he plants trees that spring up that are pleasant to sight and good for food. And he also puts two trees there, one of the tree of life, which represents eternal life, and the other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's this idea and this figure for exercising moral judgment. Out of it flows rivers that water the garden, and they're divided into four rivers. And so what does God do? He takes man, who he has created in his image, and places him in the garden. And his purpose is to work it and to keep it, which is to guard it. Man is a creative workman, just like who else? So work is actually part of God's good creation. It's a life and a fulfilling life of rewarding labor in obedience to what God has called him to do. Now, I know for many of us in our jobs, life does not feel like fulfillment and rewarding labor, right? It's really hard. And my experience with that was here I actually volunteered for the parking team in a February morning, and it was so cold outside. I was like, this is not part of God's good creation. <laughs> and I came back inside and was like, let me do something inside to volunteer, right? So it doesn't feel like that. But I'll tell you what, even in my old job where the environment was really difficult, I found enjoyment not so much in the work itself, but when I finally allowed God into the workplace and I saw my whole life and my work through his eyes. 
I began to look at it from a totally different meaning. I was living life in fellowship with him because that's where I was created. And so we see that. And so that's what he does with Adam. He takes Adam, he puts him in the garden to work. It's fellowship with God there, rewarding labor in there. And then he says to him, and this is where he tests man's obedience, you can eat of every tree in here except that one. Don't eat from that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God allows us to do things, but what he tells us is within his parameters, you have freedom to eat anything within his boundaries. That's where life is. And so now for the first time, Adam is confronted with God's rule over him. Is he going to listen to him? Or is he going to do what he wants to do? You see that tree? That represents obedience. Am I going to obey God? Or do I want to become God myself and determine what's right and wrong on my own? Now, the first question that we ask is, well, why would God even create these trees at all? Why would he even do that? Because if we were created in God's image, if we were created to reflect him, then we have to be given the choice to follow or not follow. Because if you don't give them the choice, then what you're doing is you're creating robots that just follow what you've designed them to do. So to truly be created in his image, we have to be given the choice. That tree represents the choice right there. That tree represents the choice. Sin is a violation of God's purpose. It's a violation of God's commands. That's that tree right there. If you were created in God's image, you were created to love. You were created as a loving being. You know what that tree represents? Do you love God enough to obey what he's told you? That's what that tree is about. And so God places that tree. That's the choice. Here's the interesting thing, too. You see faith on display here because Adam has to remember, do I have faith in what God just said? Or am I going to try to do this on my own? There lies the choice. And what he says is if you eat of it, you will die. It didn't mean an immediate death. What it meant was an eternal death, a physical and spiritual death. God's judgment on our disobedience. When you cross God's limits, you diminish your well-being. When you begin to do things outside of what he's commanded, you begin to diminish well-being. And that's what's happening right here. That's the choice. So the second application is this. Decisions in life come back to this moment. When somebody cuts me off on the road, do I love God enough? Do I love God more? Or am I going to cuss them out? Decisions come down. Do I love God more? Or do I love the, the ability to decide for myself what's right and wrong? And exact revenge on myself, for myself. It comes down to a love decision. So when he says, 
You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat, you shall surely die. Take it with so many things in your life. You, shall, you may surely enjoy intimacy within marriage. But of intimacy outside of marriage, you shall not. For in the day that you participate in it, you shall surely And we can go through a whole litany of things. If you don't believe me, turn on Maury Povich in the morning. Not that I watch Maury Povich, but you see what happens, right? You see what happens when we begin to do things outside of what God has called us to do. And we can't quite understand why. We can't understand. Because what you see today is people saying, yeah, but I I believe it's up to you. It should be up to you what you feel. Do what feels right. You're seeing the same thing happen today. And what we believe is not what I say or you say. It's what the Bible says. It's what God says. It's God's command. And more and more, we're moving away from what God says, and you do what you want to do and what feels good to you. Well, unless it hurts somebody else, right? That's what you see. You see, the problem is this. We can't obey fully. Every time we try we fail again. And so what we need, we need someone to help us be obedient to get back what we lost from the very beginning. You know, when you look at the commandments, I want to show you how we've come full circle again. How many commandments did Adam get? One. How'd that go? Right? How many did Moses get? And Moses turned around and gave how many laws? 613 laws. And when they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment, what did he say? Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Jesus brought it right back to what it was supposed to be in the beginning. You see, our problem isn't a commandment problem. We don't need more laws. We can't even follow the one they gave us. We can't even follow ones. You think it's a law problem? It's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. Our problem is a heart one. And what he says is, God's one commandment, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is a love command. Do you love me enough to listen to what I tell you? I love my daughter. But when she takes a bath, she keeps drinking the bath water. Right? I have one command, don't drink the bath water. And I get so angry. (laughs) Right? Nah, because it's for her well-being. I know that. So God says, if you love me, you'll... That's why Jesus said that. If you love me, you'll obey. He says, why do you call me Lord and you don't listen to what I tell you? It's always been a heart problem. And so what we need, we need someone who obeys and brings life. Because where one man fails in obedience, Adam and us, one man actually obeyed. When you look at the life of the Israelites, they get into the desert, and one of the reasons God's angry with them because they don't obey. They're disobedient. And so, here comes Jesus on the scene, and where does God take them? Into the desert, right? And he's going to show he is going to succeed where everybody else failed. And so, when Satan sees them, Satan's like... All right, here we go again. Let's ramp it up. And he sees Jesus hungry. And what does he say? Man, just turn that bread into stone. Just do it. 
You can do it yourself. Jesus says, no, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What he says, I don't just do things on my own. I listen to what my father tells me. He hasn't told me to do that. Okay. Well, you want to listen to your father then? Well, it says in the Bible, or it says in the word, right? If you jump off of this temple, right, his angels will save you. He says, no, I don't put the Lord my God at the test. Why? Because he hasn't told me to do that. And so he says, okay, let's stop all this. Takes him up to, the, to this mountain and says, I'll give you everything if you just bow down and worship me. And he says, no, you shall worship the Lord and the Lord God alone. Jesus is saying, I don't do anything unless I hear it from my Father. That's life, listening to what my Father but you see what Satan did? Satan is trying to keep him from going to the cross because what he's saying is if you go to the cross, if you listen to your father, he's going to get you killed. And he does the same thing with us. If you listen to your father and you listen and do what the Bible says, you can't live life. You're going to live in this little tiny box for the rest of your life and be miserable. That's the lie, and we keep believing the lie. We keep believing, and that's what the world will have you do. Satan loves it. Because we keep falling for the lie that we can find freedom and life apart from God, doing what we want to do, and then we keep digging ourselves in a hole and we can't understand how we keep getting into these problems. It started right here. It started right here. And we're seeing that. When you decide, when you give your life to Christ and you accept what he's done on the cross, what happened is, I'm taking the first step of obedience is to believe what God has said and whom he has said is the Messiah. Jesus Christ came because we were all disobedient and we deserve to be punished for what we did, for breaking God's command. But he sent his son to die on the cross to take the punishment that we deserved. And so when I receive the free gift of salvation and what Christ has done, God no longer sees me living in disobedience. He sees his son living in obedience. That's how we fulfill those commands. That's how we live a life. It's not because of me. It's because of him living his life in me. That's why the Apostle Paul, when he writes his letter to the Corinthian church, he says, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so the first Adam fails to obey and brings death. The second one, he brings life. And so that's why when Jesus is with his disciples and he's died and he's risen again and he comes and he sees the disciples, what does he do to them? He breathes. What do you think he's pointing back to? He's recreating again. Jesus, who created everything, is now recreating. And you're seeing that. That's the significance of what he does right there. Jesus is bringing us back to the image that we were supposed to be from the very beginning, but that has been lost. Jesus is restoring it. Our purpose and meaning in life is to love God and to have a relationship with him. That's why you were created. That's why you're here right now. It's for a relationship with your heavenly Father. And that's why Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey. Jesus Christ was the most reliant person ever. He relied on his Father for 
everything, every aspect of his life. Why? Because he loved his father, and he knew his love came in his obedience to what his father says. Number one, life comes from God. It's the very reason you're sitting in your seat. It's the very reason you can even breathe and you can even move today. It's because God has created you with his image on you. The second, decisions in life come down to obeying him, which comes down to loving him. Am I going to read the Bible? Am I going to see what it says? Am I going to obey it? Or am I going to kick God off the throne and say, I decide what's right and wrong now in my life? And thirdly, to truly be alive is to follow God's command. You want to experience true fulfillment in life? Then you do what you were created to do and to be obedient to what God has called you to do and how he's called you to live. The lie, and you'll hear it today, the lie is that you can be free without God. That is the lie, that you can be your own God, that you are God. Eating from that tree means we want to be on our own throne to decide for ourselves That's called living in bondage to sin. And we continue to dig holes and can't figure out how to get ourselves out of it. True freedom is living the life that you were created to live and the person that you were created to be. A life in relationship with him and a life in obedience to him. Let's pray.